Well, welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Hope everybody is doing well after you've kind of OD'd on candy this week. No? Anyone? Cadbury eggs? No? I did. I'm just going to just tell you, like, straight through it, packed it with me when I was going anywhere. I just need a good detox. You know what I'm talking about? Good purge? No? No one? Wow, that's a tough crowd. Um, but uh, it's a great Easter week, and, uh, and uh, just a great last weekend was just an amazing, amazing. It, it, it was a bit like this. My all-time favorite Easter, I'm 46, all-time favorite Easter was last weekend. To see people get up and spontaneously respond, grown adults, uh, and to trust uh, after that, that decision to be water baptized, it was just it, it, was a, it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing weekend. And, uh, and so I, uh, we're going to have, we're, we're going to show you some video footage about that later, and you're going to get to see some highlights and some things of that nature, because it was just such an amazing weekend. And again, probably a little over 100 people came to faith in Christ, and just, just it, and it was the, the largest single weekend service we had in the history of the church. And uh, so just, just a great weekend, and you were a part of that, and I was a part of that, and it's just fun. I always like I say this, nothing works like the local church works when the local church works the way a local church is designed to work. And what makes the local church so great is not the pastor or the music or a program. It's the people. It's always the people. Remember, God doesn't inhabit the praises of the pastor. God doesn't inhabit the praise of the music program. God inhabits the praises. He dwells within. He lives within. He resides within the praises of his people. And something amazing happens when you and I come together, two or more gather together in his name, called according to his purpose. Jesus is there. And, uh, and again, it's just I'm, just, I'm just happy to be here and happy to be a part. So if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I am really excited about this series, and I'm very excited about this message and this sermon today. Because I think it's going to be something that's going to really um, be helpful to you, not just on a weekend, but on a Monday through Friday. Um, as we're talking about this new series, In the Valley, it's, it's about the fact that life is full of mountaintops and valleys. And um, it's often, though, in the valleys of life that the testing occurs but the, and that character is developed. And uh, what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to look at different characters in the scripture, predominantly Old Testament, who all faced obstacles in what we would call the valley. And, and they all faced different issues. And um, God doesn't want us to live or stay in the valley, but he takes us to the valley. Uh, I love how David says it in Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. How do you live that kind of life? We all go through valleys. We all go through mountaintops. We all experience these things. How do I sense the presence of God? I know how I do it on the mountaintop when everything's great. But how do I experience it when I feel like I'm walking in the valley of the shadow of death? And so I want to go to Kings, uh, 1 Kings 19. And if you are, are doing the, if you're taking the journey with us, and I hope that you are, and if, you, if you're not, you can just onboard today. Actually, in the foyer, there is a, just a brochure that's called SOAP. It's for Scripture, Observation, Application, 
uh, and prayer. And so we take basically a couple of chapters a day, and we're going to get to the essence of Scripture throughout the entire year. And, and so on February 23rd, if you were walking through that, we actually, the entire day was about this particular passage. So I went back in my journal, and uh, when I was working on this, I went back into my journal to, to, to pull the notes from my observation and my application and my, my prayer for, for, for that day uh, as I'm walking through that. And, and, and I would encourage you, if you've been taking that journey, go back to your journal, go back to your notes, go back to that uh, after today's message, and just look and just see. Sometimes it's kind of crazy how the Holy Spirit will bring things to light, might, might have uh, six weeks or so ago, and even to today, it's very similar and uh, how that works. But what we see is in 1 Kings chapter 19, you've got a man named Elijah, and Elijah was the prophet of God. And what's, what's important to understand, the essence is this, is that in the Old Testament, the prophet of God was how God spoke to his people. God didn't speak through kings. He spoke through prophets. He, he, uh, there were kings. There were judges. Uh, there, was, there, was, there was an entire governmental structure that, that, that the law of Moses gave and demanded. But God always spoke through the prophet, through the man of God. That's who he used. He, he, he used both priest and king, but he spoke through the prophets in order to speak the voice of God. So Elijah represents something that's very big to the nation of Israel. He represents the voice of God. Today, the voice of God speaks to the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the Holy Spirit so powerful. That's a reason why that we, that's something that we seek after uh, uh, that and, and, and desire the giftings of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that's the voice of God in our lives. And, uh, but in the Old Testament, God would, God would demonstrate or would show up or would speak through a person. In this particular period of, of Israel's history, it was Elijah. So Elijah's God's man of faith and power. He's God's voice. And if you read chapter 18, which we're not going to, there's a fascinating encounter where there are these prophets of Baal. Because what happens in the Old Testament is Israel has this on-again, off-again relationship with God. Not unsimilar to how most people live life today, where there are times where, man, they're going to church, you're involved in your life group, you're living life, you're living for God, you're doing things, it's just really good and good. And then all of a sudden, typically out of prosperity, usually not, it's not out of suffering, but out of prosperity, you, you kind of get out of the rhythm of going to church, and kids have got stuff going on, and life gets busy, and then all of a sudden you look up, and man, you're just not where you used to be, and there's other things that have kind of entered into your life, and other things that have kind of taken the place of God in your life, or, or where you, times you used to go to church, used to be in a life group, used to be connected in a relationship with the church, you stop and you look and you go, I don't really know how I got here, but I got here. And all of a sudden you, you got a decision to make, you know, am I going to re-enter a relationship with the Lord or reconnect in the local church or, or get back involved? I need to do that. Or am I just going to just float further and further and further away? Well, Israel was that way too. They would, they would have these seasons where they would just be following God, following God, following God. Then God would bless them. And then all of a sudden they'd begin to fall away. And usually they would, there were other gods, other idols. Um, and before we go too hardcore on them, we have our own idols uh, in our culture, in our world today. And, and idols, you know, uh, in our world are not necessarily inherently bad in and of themselves. It's where we place them. Uh, it's kind of like I say about sports. There's nothing wrong with sports. I think sports are great, but they're a terrible God. The Green Bay Packers is a great NFL team. Amen? Amen. Yeah. But they're a horrible God. And if you put something in place of where it shouldn't be, everything gets out of whack. 
And that's what they're doing. And so these Baal had become this one, these false gods, and, 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 and they were beginning to, to worship him. And, and, and Elijah, being God's man of power, goes, no, 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 we're not doing this. And basically, chapter 18, he sets this entire thing up where he has this showdown. And, 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 and basically, hey, if, if Baal is, is God, then, then, then let him, you know, uh, fire down from heaven and burn your sacrifice. And, and, but if God, Jehovah is God, then, then and Elijah's by himself. There are 450 prophets of Baal and there's one Elijah. But if God is, Jehovah God is God, then let him consume the fire. And so Elijah says, hey, I'll let you guys go first. You can go first. And so these guys do all kinds of crazy stuff. They cut themselves, they do this. And if you read chapter 18, it's really quite humorous because at one point in time, Elijah actually says, hey, Maybe, he said, maybe you should cry louder. They get louder. Maybe you should cut yourself. They cut themselves. He said, finally, maybe your God is in the bathroom. If you really go back to the original uh, Hebrew that it's written in, it really, it's maybe he's in the restroom. And, 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 and he just can't hear you. That's, I mean, you're just talking this crazy. And so finally, there, no, and he, nothing happens. And so Elijah goes, okay, I tell you what, the altar is too dry. And so let's, and he douses it with, with water. He puts, he puts, uh, uh, digs ditches around it so it's just completely engulfed in water. I mean, every possible way to make it so that it would be impossible for it to be consumed in fire. And he prays a prayer. And I mean, God from heaven sends down fire. And the Bible says that it not only consumes the substance and the altar, but it wicks up all of the water and everything's completely dry as though water had never touched it. I mean, it's a pretty powerful story. I'm just telling you, like, if, if that had happened, and I, as, a, as a pastor of the church, it'd be like a mic drop moment. I'd be like, hey, can't touch this. You know what I'm saying? I'm going on a sabbatical right now. I mean, it would just be like, wow, right? Well, when you go, so he just had this mountaintop experience, and it actually happens on Mount Carmel, which is the, which is the mountain of God. And he actually goes from the mountaintop right into chapter 19. That's why I'm setting that up. Amazing experience. Amazing encounter with God. God reveals himself in an amazing way in a very public display. It's a high, high, and then we pick it up in chapter 19. Look at this. Chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, that's his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Oh, I forgot to tell you that. At the end of chapter 18, he, he kills everybody. So it's just like a full, like, you know, uh, action movie, right? Okay. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, quote, may the gods, quote, lowercase g, do to me and also more if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. In essence, if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow, maybe may, may me be reduced down to nothing. Verse 3, he was afraid. That's crazy. And he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there, so he's completely alone at this point. Verse 4, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came in and sat down under a broom tree and asked that he might die. That sounds really, really, really crazy. So you, just, you, you basically call fire down from heaven at God's command. Then you physically kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And you've got this one crazy lady who's going to call for your life, and you're, going to get, you're, you're running scared for your life? Really? 
unless you've ever been in the position to where God's used you in a great manner and in a great way and you have a mountaintop experience, typically what happens after that is there's a period of isolation, depression, loneliness that nobody else knows about. He goes into the wilderness, the Bible says. Now, the wilderness is a word that if you do some reading and some studying, uh, scholarship on this, because it's used a lot in the Old Testament, sometimes even in the New Testament, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he uh, fasts. The wilderness is, is known in the, in the Bible as a place of isolation, of desolation. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to have a physical, it was, it's more of a spiritual, but although there's, there's a physical aspect to it. Um, it's the understanding that it's a place of loneliness. It's a place where you're lost. It's a place where it's very uncomfortable. It's a place where you feel forgotten. It's a place where, where it's very dark. It's very fearful. It's very much just, it's like we would call depression. And this is the valley that Elijah faces. That's the valley I want to talk about today, is the valley of depression. How is it that sometimes in life we can go from a mountaintop experience one day and be in a depression experience the next day? How is it that God can use you greatly in one, one moment and the next moment you feel like, man, you are running for your life after just one small individual who is, who's after you or one situation? How is it that you can have faith that can literally move mountains in one moment, and the next moment, you're fearful for your own existence and future. It's in the wilderness that Elijah's, that remember, he's the voice of God. He's God's voice to the people. Was depressed to the point that verse 4 says he wanted to die. You ever felt like that? Depressed? I just want to be alone. I just wish I could die. Life isn't worth living. See, sometimes we stop and we go, well, I'm the only person that does that, or for me to feel that way is sinful. No, it's not. Now, is it an attack from the, from the pit of hell? Absolutely. But is it sinful that you would feel that way? No. It's, the, the reality is, is that because if it was, then Elijah, Elijah would be living in sin, and he's not living in sin. He, he's very close to God, and God uses him in, in one moment. But the problem is he's human. He, he, he's human. Um, and, and if you read in history, you'll find that God or that the history uses great people or they were used in great ways and they dealt with, some of them plagued with depression. Winston Churchill called it the, 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 the black dog. Um, if you read anything about Abraham Lincoln, uh, battled some severe depression because of what he was having, the tension he was having to walk through during the days in, in the 1800s in our country. It's not uncommon for great people that are used in great ways to also face some very dark, depressive days. It, 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 it's, it's not a matter of you've done something wrong. It's a matter of you're dealing with your own humanity. Remember, Yes, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, but it's clothed in this humanity. It's clothed in this fallen nature. And so depression can sometimes be a valley that some people face. And there are some of you that you'll, you, you've never really had a down day. But some of you, you have more down days than you would like to remember. That's Elijah. But it's in the wilderness that God shows up in a personal way. Jenny, catch this. The mountaintop, everyone sees you. 
God sees you. God sees people see how God works and uses you just like, just like he did on Mount Carmel with, with, with Elijah. But it's in that wilderness, it's in that valley that it's just you and God. And I want to talk about that valley because as you walk through chapter 19, it describes the valley, uh, this wilderness experience, this valley of depression, and, and how, how uh, uh, Elijah deals with it. First of all, we see that God provides in the valley, that he provides. This is important. He sustains him. Check this out in verse number 5. And he, Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, and there was a, uh, at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and, and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Speaking of his own humanity. In verse 8, he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb to the mountain of God. See, it's important to understand that when you're going through the valley of depression, if you'll allow God, he will sustain you even in those times. If God's sustenance, if his ability to sustain you only works on the mountaintop, then what value is it? No, God will sustain you even in those moments where you're alone and you want to die. God will sustain you in those moments where you just want to sleep and you just want to close the world out and you just want to crawl under a tree, crawl under a rock. You're in this place that's very uncomfortable, that's very dark, that's somewhat fearful. You're in this wilderness, this valley experience. In the middle of that, God's still there. And God's going to sustain you today in the moment. God's going to sustain you tomorrow for your future. And, and even in this situation, we see that, that, that the sustenance that, that he's given by the angel of the Lord is, is to get him to the next mountaintop. See, you may be in a valley today. You, you may be in this depression today. You, you might have had a great yesterday, but today's not that great. And you're in this valley and you want to know, is God there and he's going to sustain me? Yes. And his sustenance is going to not just sustain you for the day or for the morrow, but it, it's going to sustain you till you get to the next mountaintop. It's going to sustain you till you get to the next mountaintop. Because again, we don't live on the mountaintops. We travel through these valleys. We travel through these times. We go through, it's our own humanity. We go through this, and God understands this. And he's there with us in and through that. And so it's important to understand that in the valley, God still provides. He doesn't just provide on the mountaintop. It's not like I'm going to feed you on the mountaintop, and I hope you get to the mountaintop again because that's your next meal. No, no, no. He's going to provide for you on the mountaintop and in the valley, on the high days and on the low days, on the days where everybody sees and on the moments where nobody even knows you exist. God's there. We also see that God speaks in, in, in these valleys. God speaks in the depression that Elijah's going through. Look at verse number 9. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's still in the valley. He hasn't yet gone to Mount Horeb. Verse 10, and he said, I I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And I, and even I only, am left. And they seek my life and they take it away. He asked him again, verse 11, 
I want you to go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, and he tore down the mountains and broke it into pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a low whisper. That's where God was. See, Elijah's sitting here, and he's depressed, and God says, hey, because in the middle of your depression, in the middle of your valley, God will speak if you'll just listen. And when God speaks, he doesn't always speak in a cataclysmic sort of way. He doesn't always speak in some spectacular kind of way. It's not going to be in some torrential wind or, 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 some, or some explosive moment. Typically, it's in a still, small voice. It's a whisper. Because we like when God speaks in the, in the fire. We like when God speaks in, in, in the middle of the wind. We, 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 we like those moments where God, God speaks in this explosive manner. But the reality is, especially when we're in valleys, he doesn't speak in those manners. He typically speaks in this very small, still voice. Because it's in those moments, you don't need to be impressed. You need to be comforted. It's in those moments, you know who he is. You just need to know that he's there. It's interesting that Elijah looks at his own self and basically says, look, in essence, what he's saying is, I'm the only one that really loves you, God, and they're all trying to kill me, which is not the truth. We'll find out there are many, many people that are still devoted to God, and God will reveal that and confirm that again to Elijah. But that's what depression does. It distorts. When God speaks in the valley, his truth replaces our misconceptions and lies about ourselves and our situations. Elijah thinks he's alone, and he's not. Elijah thinks he's the only one serving God, and he's not. Elijah just wants to die because he thinks his life has no meaning, and it still does. And he wants to just be done because he's just come from this mountaintop experience in chapter 18 with the prophets of Baal. And now he's reduced to just wanting to die. It's in the valleys of life that God usually speaks because it's usually in those times when we're truly alone and we're humble and we're open. We don't typically listen to God when things are great. When you just got the pay raise, you just got the new house, you just got the man of your dreams, you just got the child that you've been praying for, we thank God, but we just kind of go on. You just got the lake cottage or the new boat or, or you just got the condo in Florida or you just got this or you just got a pay raise or you just got an inheritance or, 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 you know, it's sunny in 75. People ask me sometimes in Wisconsin, man, it must really be tough pastoring there because the winter times can be so difficult that I'm sure that the crowds are really low and the snow's on the ground and it's bitterly cold. I said, no, those are actually some of the best attendance days because where else are you going to go? It's here or the mall or the grocery store. So I might as well come to church. And they go, really? I said, yeah, the biggest days that I deal with is when it's sunny in 75. Because we don't get those days very often. And, and so to take time out of our life to, to get ready and, and to come in from working outside or doing whatever you're doing and get cleaned up, get the kids together, drive. The average drive time is like 19.2 minutes to get to Life Church. It's, this is a stat that rolls around in my head every once in a while. And, and so to get here and then you're here and, 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 you know, and then especially if I'm long-winded, which doesn't happen very often, but occasionally. And, you know, it, it's several hours of your life and, it's, and you're burning daylight and it's beautiful and it's not always that way. See, what my point is this, is that typically in our lives when things are good, 
we're not really asking God for anything. But when I get a diagnosis from the doctor that there's no other way but up, when my marriage is falling apart, when there's something that I can't pay for, I, I can't arrange, I can't, there's no way out but up. I get real honest, real alone, real humble, real vulnerable in those moments. That's usually when God speaks. Because God is not going to just interrupt your life. God's not going to just try to make you force himself upon you. He's a gentleman, and he's simply going to invite you. And, and remember, he's not usually going to speak in the crazy wind or the explosions of, of, of some cataclysmic spectacular. It's going to be in a still, small voice. And when you're spinning wheels and making deals and running so fast you can hardly keep up and, and life is happening and this is happening and this is going on and this is going on and there may be all good things, but they're all competing. God just kind of goes, okay, just when you come to the end of yourself, I'll be over here. But I'm not going to compete with all that. Remember commandment number one, I'm the Lord your God, and I'll have no other gods before me. I won't compete with the God of your children or the God of your parents or the God of your love life or the God of your money or the God of your job or the God of your lake house or the God of your boat or the God of your golf clubs or the God of your spending sprees or the God of your money. No, I'm God. And I'm a jealous God, he says. And it's usually in those moments that God speaks is when we're in the valley. Because it's then when we're able to slow everything down, pull back the RPMs, and listen. And when he speaks, God's plan is revealed. God's plan is revealed. And it's not usually new. It goes back to the calling. Again, God has a plan and a purpose, according to Jeremiah 29, for each and every one of us. God has called you. Whether you realize it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you live in it or not, his calling is upon your life. And, and the New Testament will go on to say that the calling of God is without repentance, which means it never lifts because God purposed you and created you and made you. That's the reason why every life has value. Every person has value. First Kings chapter 19, I won't read it because of time. But God says to Elijah, you're being God's voice, you being God's man to the people of Israel. Here's what I want you to do. And it's very declarative. In essence, you're going to go and anoint the next king of Syria. You're going to go and anoint the next king of Israel. You're going to find your successor. His name is Elisha, and here's how this is going to happen. And then you're going to resume your calling as my voice to my people because that is your role. See, what happens is, is that when we go through mountaintop experiences and then, and, and then we, 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 and typically a lot of times after, the, after a high, there's kind of a, of a low. There's kind of this letdown. There's kind of this, this deal, which is somewhat typical of our own humanity. And, and there's this wilderness experience. And it's in that that we kind of go, man, am I still called? Am I, God, am I still being able to be used of God? Is God still has a plan? And, and we kind of get into those places. And if we'll just 
quiet ourselves and understand that God's still there and that God's going to preserve us, not just on the mountaintop, but in the valley. And in that preservation, in that time of sustaining us, he's going to, to speak to us. And if we'll just listen, he will reveal the next steps that fulfill the calling that he has for us. Hey, I called you to that business. I, I didn't just lead you there to let you. I, I remember I brought these children into your life. Remember, I, I brought your marriage together. Remember, I remember the time that you prayed that he or she would say yes. And, and, I, and I, I bless you in this place. And yeah, you got off over here and you went over here, but I just want to bring you back to this is what you're about. And this is what you're called to do. And this is my plan. And this doesn't leave. And this doesn't let up in your life. And that's why it's important, I want to say this, that's why it's important that you have this personal relationship, this personal connection, this moment where God speaks to you, where God calls you in a way that's undeniable. Some of you might have been there in the third service last weekend, but I, I did the deal where every service was, was the same, and, and we gave people an opportunity to respond. And, 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 and like I said, over 100 people responded and, and gave their life to Christ. And, and, then, and then I kind of just put it on the line, and we gave people an opportunity to be baptized spontaneously. And, and they, they were baptized. And in the third service, I felt like there are people. And there was, there was probably already uh, close, to, close to two dozen people at that point in time, about 24 people. I think we baptized 30, 35 people in the third service. And, and, and there were probably two dozen people that already stood up and people had already clapped. And I said, I just knew, like, there, there's somebody else. You're wrestling with this. You're fighting with this. God is drawing you. He is speaking to you. He, that you've given your life to him. This is the next step. I just want to give you an opportunity. I, I, I just want to be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit and just give you the opportunity to do that. And, 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 I, and so I said, what we're going to do is we're just going to wait just a minute. That, that's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy, to really, to be honest. Because, I mean, what if nobody stands up? and I going to look stupid? Well, I've looked stupid so many times in my life, it doesn't matter. But I'm just like, no, that's what we're going to do. And so we're just, and people are looking at me. I had several people. I had one guy. He said, man, I've been a missionary for 30 years. I have never seen anybody. That's the gutsiest thing I've ever seen anybody do. And I was like, well, you know, where I'm from, we, we got a bunch of rednecks. It's, hey, the famous words of any, la uh, last words of any rednecks are, hey, watch this. You know, it's just, this is kind of what we do. I said, man, this is what I know. And so I just said, there's somebody here, and this is the deal. And uh, we just waited for a second. People were kind of looking around like, what's going on? And one guy right over here stands up, grown man, just had been bawling. I mean, just red eyes, crying, takes the tissue and just throws it down, gets up and walks to go be baptized. And a couple other people, and da-da-da-da, we all clap and go on. At the end of the service, I'm in the foyer, and I'm talking to people. And he said, man, I kept saying if he says it one more time, I'll do it. <laughs> and you said it. Nah, it was coincidental. One more time, I'll do it. And you said it. And I was like, no, 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 no. And you came to the end of it. And I thought, I'm done. If he says it one more time. And he said, there you go. Saying it one more. What I'm trying to say is God's calling us. God's speaking to us. We know. 
I'm firmly convinced of this. You know God's will and purpose for your life. It's in here. That, that the power that raised Christ from the dead. You, you know that God called you to the marketplace. You know that he called you into vocational ministry. You know that he called you this company. You know that he's leading you to this next city. You know. And so the deal is in that moment is that when we get into these times of, of wilderness, of valley, of depression, sometimes we forget that and God reminds us, hey, I called you to be my voice. Hey, I called you to do this. And by the way, here's your next assignment. Here's the last thing I want to show you and then we're going to be done. You have to depart from depression. God will not depart depression, depression from you. You have to depart from it. Verse number 19. And so he departed from there. He departed from there. See, there's this point where, okay, that God sustained me and, and God's spirit's shown up and he's spoken to me and, and, and he's, he's revealed the plan for me. But then it's incumbent upon me as the individual to go, okay, I'm not going to live in this valley. I'm not going to live in this depression. I'm not going to just take up residence here. I'm going to depart from here because God's called me to something else and I'm going to begin to walk through that. I'm going to begin to go to that. I'm going to begin to pursue that. See, you must choose and act upon God's leading. That guy that got baptized, God was not going to get him to stand up and walk him out the room. He had to choose. In Revelation 3.19, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. But you have to make the choice. Are you going to open the door and invite him in? It's your choice. You're going to stand up and get baptized? We're not baptizing anybody today, so don't get all. And Thank you. You know, you know those moments where there's a special offering for a missionary and you know what you're supposed to do and you have those, or God's asking you to do something and you know, and you have all these, but what about, but what about, but what about, you know, the question is, is you have to choose. Are you going to choose? Are you going to sit in your depression? Are you going to wallow like a pig in a slop and, and wallow in your existence? Are you going to listen to the voice of God? And, and he'll sustain you in that for a season, but then there comes a season where it's over and now it's time for you to get up and depart from it. And this is what I think people miss out on. We, we expect the angels to lift us up. The angels came and fed him, but they didn't lead him out of there. The angels showed up on God's behalf and they sustained him, but they didn't pick him physically up and move him. No, he, after hearing the voice of the Lord, he, after hearing the voice of God, he had to get up and depart. You've got to choose to leave the valley, to leave the wilderness, to leave the depression. Does that mean that you'll never be depressed? No. Because life is full of hills and valleys, of mountaintops and wildernesses. But for this season, it's over. It's done. It's time to move on. Because God's now called me to Mount Horeb, to the mountain of God. And by the way, on my way, I'm going to anoint the next king of Syria and the next king of Israel. And there'll be a young man named Elisha, and he will be the one that will replace me as God's voice to the people. And I'll recognize him, and I'll know him, and I'll go to him, and I will bring him along with me. You must decide with your feet and not just your head and your heart only. God will lead you out of the valley, but you must follow. We all go to mountaintops. We all have days in the valley. 
And God is in both places. God's the God of the mountain. He's the God in the valley. And if you're here in the valley today, just know that God's not left you. He's not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. We all, Jesus himself, went through the wilderness. Times where we feel alone. Times where we feel forgotten. Times where it feels, where, where, where the darkness feels like it's just coming in. But he's there. He's speaking. He will sustain you. Because he's developing and growing something in you. Because he's not done with you. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Lord, that it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And I just pray, Father, in these next few moments that you would just, God, just, just as you've spoken to our hearts today, that you would just let this truth be solidified in our spirits. God, for anybody that's in the, in the depths of depression, they're in the valley of depression, they're in the, the wilderness, I just pray, God, in, right now that you would just show up and just make yourself known. Lord, sustain them and preserve them. Speak to them. Let them listen. And God, for those that, that God, that are there, Lord, that, to take them out, lead them out, and then give them the strength to follow as you have directed them. I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.